This podcast is supported by donations from my listeners and uh, by my sponsors. The sponsor for this episode is italki, and they provide a service which is invaluable for learners of any language around the world, including English, of course. italki helps you find qualified teachers or native speakers for one-to-one lessons or conversations over Skype. They have loads of teachers on their site and you can kind of go shopping for an English teacher. You check out their profiles, you can watch their introductory videos where they introduce themselves to you. Uh, You could perhaps schedule some trial lessons with a few teachers to see what you think and then when you find the right person, book some lessons or just book some conversation time. It's now easier than ever to get actual speaking practice with real people into your life. It's so convenient with italki, you've got to check it out. Millions of people use this service, millions around the world, because, you know, uh, they have pretty much any language. It's a really professional, reliable and easy to use system. And because you listen to my podcast, italki will send you a voucher for a free lesson when you buy some talking time. To get that offer and to find out more, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash talk or click an italki logo on my website. Okay, how do you get the offer? How do you get that voucher? Well, you just have to go through my link or go through the link on my website and and the website will will somehow record who you are they'll know that you've come through me and then when you buy some talking time they will automatically send you a voucher the voucher takes a couple of days to arrive probably in your email inbox and you can use that voucher to get your discount in the future okay that's how it works teacherluke.co.uk slash talk or click an italki logo on my website You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, folks. Welcome back to Luke's English Podcast. How are you doing? Hope you're doing all right in podcast land, as usual. Now, uh, today, I'm continuing the comedy theme with an episode about British TV comedy. A while ago, I did an episode all about... British TV comedy programs and how you can use them to learn English. It was pretty popular and I promised that I would do more episodes explaining specific comedy shows. So today I'm going to talk to you about a well-known and well-loved character from British television culture, Alan Partridge. I'll tell you everything I think you need to know about him, all the context and background information, and then we will listen to some clips on YouTube, see if you get the humour, and we'll use them to do some intensive listening to help you learn loads of real, natural English language and culture. So, British comedy, Alan Partridge. That's the title of this episode. As usual, I'm wondering what the hell you will think of this, because it might be hard for you to understand, and it might just go straight over your head. I don't know. Also, I'm wondering if some of you will be a bit turned off by the title of the episode. Maybe I should have gone with a more clickbait title, like the British comedy that only Brits can understand, or British people love it but learners of English don't understand it, or learn the ten secrets of British comedy that the language schools don't want you to know, or even why British people hate Mr Bean, or something like that. Instead, I've gone with a more functional title, and the assumption that you will just trust me 
whatever the title is. So, British comedy Alan Partridge. This is an episode about an absolute legend of British comedy that most Brits know, but non-Brits often don't know, and learners of English struggle to understand or appreciate. You may have heard me mention Alan Partridge before. I've often said that I need to devote a whole episode to this subject. So here we go. I have the feeling that this is going to take more than one episode, to be honest. It might require a few episodes. And you know what? If that's what it takes, that's what I'll do. I'll talk about this for as long as I think it's necessary or until someone actually physically stops me. So you might be thinking, who's Alan Partridge, Luke? Well, he's a fictional comedy character who's been on British TV for nearly 25 years. He's played by an actor and comedian named Steve Coogan, who you may have heard on this podcast before doing Michael Caine and Paul McCartney impressions on the TV show The Trip. Um, That's the actor Steve Coogan um, who plays the character. The character is a fictional TV and radio presenter, okay? Now, originally, Partridge was created as a parody of TV and radio presenters, a sort of a way of making fun of the cliches that you see and hear in TV news, sports reporting, factual and light entertainment programmes, particularly the cliches of how people speak on TV and radio. Um, Later, Partridge became a fully rounded character in his own right. In later shows, we follow Alan closely through his life, and the character has become more than just a parody of television presenters. He's become a parody of a certain type of British man. Somehow, so many of us can relate to the experiences and the characteristics of Alan Partridge, even though the character is someone that we laugh at and think is a truly awful person. So, this character, Alan Partridge. Okay, here's a rundown of the shows and things that Alan has appeared in over the years. So, there's been a parody news TV programme called The Day to Day, three BBC Radio 4 comedy series, um, three BBC TV series and one BBC TV special, two best-selling books and audio books, a web series on YouTube, YouTube, uh, two short TV series on Sky, several full-length TV specials, a full-length feature film, which was released in the cinemas, several big live theatre tours, lots of other TV appearances on interview shows, charity telethons, and more. The character has won a BAFTA award and two British Comedy Awards over the years. And this year, Alan is coming back to the BBC with a brand new series. Uh, Partridge is widely praised by reviewers and critics as one of Britain's best comedy TV characters. Many of the lines spoken by Alan Partridge in his shows have become part of the popular consciousness, including phrases like, aha, and monkey tennis, and smell my cheese, you mother. Now, none of those things will make any sense to you uh, until the end of this episode when those things should have been explained. But uh, certain phrases, particularly aha, and monkey tennis as well, have kind of entered uh, somehow the popular culture. Uh, Now, I don't mind admitting that I'm a huge fan of Alan Partridge as an excellent work of comedy by the performer Steve Coogan and the script writers Armando Iannucci, Peter Bainham, the Gibbons brothers and others. Uh, Many of my friends and members of my family are also huge fans and it's quite normal for us to communicate in Partridgeisms. Partridgeisms. These are basically like quotes uh, or things that Alan would say or even speaking in the same way that Alan does. And that's when we spend time together sometimes quoting lines of dialogue with each other, which is very common 
for people to do when they're fans of comedy, they will often remember the lines and kind of repeat them to each other for fun. Now, in my opinion, if you've got any interest in Britishness, British humour, British comedy, British pop culture and British English, then you absolutely must know about Alan Partridge. Now, this is not as simple as you might think doing this episode. Somehow, I find it really hard to explain this comedy to learners of English. It's very subtle, it's nuanced and layered. It sort of defies explanation, which is a strength, in my opinion. Um, I think that comedy that's very easy to explain is often a bit basic and probably quite rubbish, really. Uh, The fact that Alan Partridge is complex and subtle is a strength for the comedy But perhaps that's also a barrier for non-native speakers who just can't see where the humour is. They always say that the hardest thing to truly understand in a second language is humour. It requires really good English in this case. The ability to read between the lines, to pick up on every uh, slight verbal and non-verbal clue to understand the comedy, and to do it all instantly. You need excellent listening skills, basically. You also need to have a lot of context in order to understand what type of character this is, how to interpret what he says, uh, what his attitude is in any given moment, how other people are reacting to him, and also to understand how we, the audience, are supposed to feel about it all. Are we laughing with him? Are we laughing at him? Uh, Where is the comedy coming from? So perhaps if you're not really aware of all the cultural and contextual clues, and if your English isn't quite up to it, you'll never really get it. You might think, nah, this isn't funny, or, oh, this is just British humour. British humour that for some reason only British people understand, but which in fact isn't funny for any normal people. But... The high regard that people have for Alan Partridge, the awards, the recognition from the industry, the longevity of the character, all these things prove that this is genuinely good stuff, okay? Partridge is also popular in other English-speaking countries outside the UK, notably Australia, New Zealand, and Ireland. He's not a household name in the USA, although quite a lot of people know about him there, including lots of actors and comedians. For example, Ben Stiller is famously a big fan of Alan Partridge. So let's see how it is for you. Let me know in the comments section as we go through some clips, listen, break them down and carry on. So first I need to give you some background information about the character. I'm just going to read one or two paragraphs from uh, the Wikipedia page for Alan Partridge. There's some vocab in here as well which I will be explaining as we go. Uh, some vocab. Uh, Don't forget to visit the page for this episode on the website. You'll see almost a complete transcript. There's tons of stuff on the website for this episode. So according to Wikipedia... Alan Partridge is an incompetent and tactless television and radio presenter from Norwich, England. So he's incompetent. That means he's just not good at his job and he always fails. So he's just not good at what he does. He's incompetent and he's tactless. Um, So that means that he's careless and his words often offend people around him. So he's not very careful about the feelings of other people and the things that he says when he's with them. Okay, so he's tactless and he's also incompetent. He's socially inept, which means he's got no social skills. He's socially inept, uh, often offending his guests, and has an inflated sense of importance and celebrity, which means that he thinks he's more important than he is. According to the Telegraph newspaper, Partridge is utterly convinced of his own superiority, and he's bewildered, meaning confused, by the world's inability to recognise it. 
Uh, and these are qualities that place him in the line of great British comedy characters. It's true in many of uh, Britain's comedy shows, we have these sorts of semi-tragic characters who seem to have the same kind of um, uh, personality traits, often that they uh, think that they're much better than the situation that they're in. Uh, and yet the rest of the world doesn't quite see it that way and they're unable to see their failings and they just you know think that they're destined for greatness when in fact they're 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 not at all and there's characters like basil faulty from faulty towers um, and also captain mannering from dad's army and various other characters like even um tony hancock even Tony Hancock, who was one of the very first comedy characters to be on British television way back in the 60s when TV was in black and white. So Hancock, uh, Basil Fawlty, Captain Mannering, Alan Partridge, if there's a line of comedy characters that goes through TV culture and Partridge is definitely part of that. Um, his need for public attention drives him to deceit, which basically means lying to people, uh, treachery, which means betraying people who trust him and shameless self-promotion that's where he's promoting himself and he's got no shame about the way he does it and sometimes even violence in the knowing me knowing you christmas special for example he assaults a bbc boss by punching him with a turkey alan partridge lives in norwich in norfolk so in england if you can imagine england right you've got uh oh, it's maybe difficult for some of you to just picture it without if you don't know it very well but um, let's say you've got a kind of a triangle with two, blo- with two blobs. This is just England. You've got Scotland on top of the triangle, uh, England and Wales. So it's like, let's say, a triangle with two blobs on the side. The blob on the left is Wales, and the blob on the right we call East Anglia. And it's, a, it's just sort of a bit, that, uh, a round part of the country that sticks out to the side to the, uh, to the east and East Anglia, and it's basically separated into the north part and the south part. The north part is uh, known as Norfolk, and the south part is known as Suffolk. The The biggest city in Norfolk is Norwich. The biggest city in Suffolk would be Ipswich, I think. Um, and basically, if you go from London and go through Cambridge and keep going, you'll basically get to East Anglia, okay? So Norwich is up in the northern part of East Anglia. It's quite far from London. Uh, which is significant because London is like obviously the, the 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 central point, the base of everything, especially the media and the BBC has its headquarters there, and you know it's highly educated people and it's very cosmopolitan. Norwich, by comparison, is very sort of um, parochial place out on the on the edge, on the fringes, almost. Uh, it's not it's not even up north. It's kind of like in this vague area. It's not really the north. It's not the Midlands. It's just a, this vague spot um, up there, just beyond, just slightly out of the reach of London. So Partridge lives in Norwich in Norfolk. And one of the creators of the show, Armando Iannucci, said that the writers chose Norwich as Partridge's hometown because it's geographically just a little bit annoyingly too far from London and has this kind of weird isolated feel that seemed right for Alan. Uh, Partridge holds right-wing views. Uh, Steve Coogan described him as a little Englander with a myopic or sort of uninformed, slightly philistine, which means uncultured, mentality. So he's got a myopic, slightly philistine mentality, which basically means he's kind of uninformed, small-minded, uncultured. He's a reader of the right-wing tabloid newspaper, The Daily Mail, and he supports Brexit because, according to Steve Coogan, The Daily Mail told him to. 
earlier versions of the character were a lot more bigoted, meaning sort of more prejudiced and rude about it. But the writers found that there was more humour in having Alan attempt to be liberal, even though he's actually quite right-wing. Because he's in the media, he, he's, he has this sense that there is a certain... Certain things are just not really acceptable, even though probably privately he would hold those opinions... On TV, he feels he's got an obligation to somehow try to be liberal. Steve Coogan said that he's aware of political correctness, but he's playing catch-up. His underlying right-wing views come out sometimes, even though he tries to be modern. And so, let's look at some Alan clips. So, I'm going to play you a selection of clips um, now, and I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about the scene, including the basics of what happens. Now, this is very important because, believe me, it will be quite hard to follow some of these clips, okay? I expect the first time that you listen, you'll be like, what? What What was that? You might hear the audience laughing or something, but you, you may miss certain significant things. So I will explain some details and give you some things to listen out for. Then you can listen to the clip properly and either get what they're saying or get some of it, get confused, have a laugh or whatever. So I'm going to explain certain things first, then let you listen to the clip. Then I'll go through it again and I'll break it down for you. And no doubt there will be useful language to be gained from all of this. In fact, I'm certain that there is a ton of language which will emerge from doing this. So do check the page for this episode. You'll find it to be a treasure trove of transcripts, notes, vocabulary, YouTube links and more. Um, and then after listening and hopefully understanding each scene, we will go on to the next one and the next one until we're done and you've had your introduction to the world of Alan and you can then choose to continue and watch the series or read the books or if you prefer, uh, just never re- revisit the world of Alan Partridge again. It's up to you. For app users, for Luke's English Podcast app users, check out the bonus content for these Partridge episodes. There will be at least one bonus audio in which I'm talking to my friend Raphael from Liverpool about the complexities of explaining Alan Partridge to learners of English. You can download the Luke's English Podcast app free from the App Store uh, on your phone. Okay, so let's get started then. And we're going to start with uh, clip number one, and this is Sports Desk with Alan Partridge, which was from the day-to-day TV programme in 1994. Now, Alan Partridge began as a parody of TV sports reporters in a BBC radio comedy called On The Hour, and then on the TV, news spoof comedy The Day to Day. So these shows are are spoofs, they're parodies, basically making fun of the news uh, and sports reports by copying them. Um, So that's how he started. Then he became a parody of cliched television presenters in general with his own chat show named after an ABBA song, Knowing Me, Knowing You. Do you know this song by ABBA? Knowing me, knowing you, Uh aha. You know that one? So Alan's a fan of ABBA and his TV chat show was called Knowing Me, Knowing You. Um, And sometimes... Sometimes sports reporters have to keep talking and talking, right? Uh, Even when there's nothing to talk about, really. And their commentaries become full of bad cliches and mixed metaphors to describe what's going on. Sometimes the commentary lapses into personal experiences and bizarre tangents, okay? Imagine a sort of, you know, imagine a slightly uneducated uh, uh, um, TV sports reporter who thinks he's better than he is, 
commentating on on sports that he probably doesn't really understand and going off into little uh, anecdotes and tangents, especially relating to his personal life, because he has to keep talking. That's, I guess, the one thing that Alan can do is keep talking. He can keep going. But the thing is that what he will always do is end up talking himself into a hole in which, which he has to then dig himself out of. So, you know, his, his mouth works faster than his head in a way. So, um, that, so sports reporters. There's, there's also a tone of voice of the sports reporter. Somehow it's very high. Everything's up in the air. It's a bit like the, the news, the BBC news reporter. I'm on the, I'm on the news and on the news, everyone seems to speak in this kind of voice. Everything's very serious. No one speaks like this in the real world. You know, that's the way that like a BBC sports reporter would, uh, news reporter would speak. But for some reason, sports reporters are even higher. And, you know, here we are at the stadium and it promises to be a fantastic climax to the competition. You know, it's always much higher up. So that's the tone of voice, somehow very high. Everything's up in the air. It's the atmosphere of tension. It's the atmosphere of high stakes competition. It's the atmosphere of the Sunday League Cup final. And sometimes they ramble and ramble and they end up saying quite ridiculous things. And this can be quite revealing about the reporter's personality. And without intending to, they end up saying bizarre things that make you wonder about their personal lives. This is a bit like the way some TV presenters will behave on radio or live TV chat shows. When things kind of go a bit wrong on the chat show and the presenters say some weird things or they kind of struggle to keep talking in some way. This is the world of Alan Partridge. So we're going to deal with uh, Alan's sports... Alan's sporting highlights from the day to day. Now, this is not the funniest of clips, I have to say, but it gives you an idea of where Alan first came from, just copying the vocal mannerisms of sports reporters. And in this clip, Alan describes cycling, athletics, and boxing. Here are a few things for you to look out for, okay? Before each clip, I'll give you some things to look out for. So the first thing is listen to his description of cyclists. He's describing some cyclists doing, I guess, the Tour de France. He's describing the cyclists. Listen, listen to the way his descriptions start to get a bit carried away, meaning he starts to kind of um, go into a bit too much detail, especially when he's describing the bodies of the cyclists and the cyclists' legs. Uh, his descriptions get carried away. Listen to the tone of voice that he has when he's in the helicopter. It's just perfect. It's the perfect parody of, of sports reports when he's in the helicopter. Listen to the way he uses metaphors. This is when you kind of describe something as if it's something else. And, you know, you could it'd be like, and it's the end of the world for Chelsea. You know, that sort of thing. It's not literally the end of the world. <laughs> So listen, listen out for the metaphors that don't work. For example, he describes the cyclists from above when he's in the helicopter. And he says, you, see, uh, you join me now in the helicopter as we look down on these cyclists that look somehow like cattle in a mad way, but cattle on bikes. Cattle, cattle, this is basically groups of cows. So cows in a field can be described as cattle. Okay, so uh, looking down on these cyclists that look somehow like cattle in a mad way, but cattle on bikes. So it's like very weird metaphor because he's obviously lost. He's trying, he's struggling to describe them and he ends up with these weird metaphors when he's describing the, the athletics. He seems to, it sounds like it's a bit boring. And then one of the runners falls over, he falls down to the ground and immediately Partridge becomes more enthusiastic and in fact he says oh good he's fallen um so watch out for that and then also 
um, when he's describing the boxing, he just gives far too much personal information. He starts to, he gives descriptions that get carried away describing uh, some bare knuckle boxing that he's seen once. But boxing, you know, is proper in the ring with the gloves and everything. But bare knuckle boxing is a form of illegal boxing that happens sometimes, like in the countryside. And it might be, uh, you know, guys, uh, it's all organized informally and the guys don't wear gloves. So that's bare knuckle boxing. And he ends up going off on some weird rambling anecdote while trying to commentate on, the, on an actual boxing match. And he's saying, you know, I witnessed bare knuckle boxing in a barn once a barn is like a, a big wooden building in the countryside and he said it, it was a sorry sight to see men goading them on so he was saying it was it was kind of quite a uh, tragic sight to watch other men shouting at the boxers uh, encouraging them goading them on and he said and i'm ashamed to say i was party to that goading so it, it turns out that alan was actually also doing the goading he was kind of in, you know shouting at the boxers and encouraging them so you end up in this weird anecdote where he's suddenly at a bare knuckle boxing match and it's like whoa too much personal information what are you talking about so let's now listen to that and um we may break it down a little bit afterwards we'll see okay so this is alan's uh, uh sporting highlights from sports desk with alan partridge sports desk i'm alan partridge and it's a special desk of sport now as we look back on some of the sporting highlights of the last sporting season so lie down relax and let the sports commence when it's cycling championships you're after, you can't say fairer than the Tour de France. Dive Brandau there in the lead, swaying from side to side in his own inimitable bike riding way. Klaus been there on the inside, pumping away with his with those gristle-like muscly legs inside the those tight lycra shorts, which have become his trademark. And I don't know what this man is playing at. There's no way. Surely the judges must come down like a ton of bricks on that. Carrying bikes on top of a car is not a sportsmanlike way to run this race. You join me in the helicopter now as we look down on these cyclists that look somehow like cattle in a mad way, but cattle on bikes. And there, Sven Gunsen, closely followed by his great friend and teammate Klaus Ben. And the man with the bikes on his car is, yes, he's disqualified, as I said. And uh, Klaus Ben there wins, riding non-handed. No need for that. It was a belter of a season for athletics. 1,500 metres there, cram, and uh, not a lot happening, quite uh, unremarkable. Oh, good, someone's fallen, uh, it's Peter Elliott, yes, he's down, Peter Elliott, no relation to the late uh, Denham, and come on, Pete, back on your feet, you can catch up with them. No, no, he can't be bothered. And it was upsets all the way in the dive championships. We're going to skip the dive championships. You can see that in the video, which you'll find on... That's right, on the page for the episode. Lovely. The judges surely will give him high marks for that. But for my money, the best punches were being pulled this season in the boxing ring. As he's affectionately known to me. Thank goodness, actually, they're wearing gloves, because I've witnessed bare-knuckle boxing in a barn in Somerset about three years ago, and it was a sorry sight to see men goading them on in uh, such a barbaric fashion. And I'm rather ashamed to say I was party to that goading. And uh, two men fighting, as I saw in the barn that night, naked as the day they were born, and fighting the way God intended. <coughs> Wrestling at points. I don't know if you've seen Women in Love, the marvellous scene by the fire. It uh, kind of resembled that. The closing in on him, they keep bringing him down. Let him go. He's saying, get out of the way. I want to play some rugby. Okay, so that was Alan Partridge's um, 
Sports Desk, the World Cup, not the World Cup, the uh, Allen Sporting Highlights. Okay, I think I probably explained most of the things. I'm not going to get drawn into that clip too much. There are other clips I'd like to spend a bit more time on. But anyway, that just gives you an idea of sort of where Allen came from, that he was this um, incompetent sports reporter. Now, next, somehow Allen managed to climb the greasy pole within the BBC. Uh, and he was given his own chat show on the radio and then a chat show on television, which lasted one series. The show was called Knowing Me, Knowing You with Alan Partridge, a cheesy title inspired by the song by ABBA. Uh, knowing Me, Knowing You, aha. And that actually became Alan Partridge's most famous catchphrase because the music would play Knowing Me, Knowing You, and then Alan would appear, aha, like that. And that was his catchphrase. And whenever he interviewed someone, he'd say like, Knowing Me, uh, Alan Partridge, Knowing You, Luke Thompson, aha. And the guest has to say aha as well, which is always sort of awkward this uh is alan interviews a child prodigy and this is from knowing me knowing you the radio series in 1992 years ago now now this was recorded in front of a studio audience for radio uh, and in this one alan attempts to interview a child genius but the child is obviously way more intelligent and educated than him so alan attempts to keep the upper hand he's still trying to be the best one in the situation, but he's constantly proven wrong by the child. It's humiliating for Alan, but he doesn't have the patience to tolerate being wrong, and instead he resorts to rudely bullying the child. Alan always needs to be on top, even if it means being very cruel to a child. Uh, Now, there is a live audience in the background, and that's a bit weird because they're laughing while the performance happens. Uh, The the performers carry on like it's not comedy, but there's an an audience laughing in the background. But still, when the audience laugh, those moments kind of tell you that there's been a joke. Just a note, are we laughing at Alan or are we laughing with him? Sometimes we laugh at Alan because he's awful, self-important, arrogant and ignorant. And yet we also somehow support him sometimes, like in this situation when the child is really annoying too. So we're against Alan and we laugh at him, but sometimes we're actually with him you know, we're behind him and we laugh with him too. So it's an interesting shift in perspective as we both relate to him and also want to distance ourselves from him at the same time. And this happens with all of Alan's comedy. He's a strangely relatable character and uh, you, we feel for him and maybe somehow like him. But at the same time, we recognise that he's kind of an awful person. But there's something compelling about him. Here are some things to look out for in Alan's uh, interview with the child genius. Look out for the ways that the child makes Alan look stupid, including references to Shakespeare. Check out Alan's attempt to win the situation and check out the way he switches to entertainment mode at the end of the sketch, as if he hasn't just insulted this child and made him cry. Welcome, welcome to Knowing Me, Alan Partridge, Knowing You, John Fisher, aha, aha, and and you, Simon Fisher, aha, not not so loud into the microphone. <laughs> now, Simon, you are a fellow of Oxford University, and you're a child prodigy. As a child genius, what do you do? What do you actually do in the day? Well, I don't exactly do. I I I am. 
I, I see each day as a, as a sort of gift that is to be unwrapped, which I do in my own unique way. And of course, you, you are very unique. Oh, one cannot have gradations of uniqueness when either is or is not unique. Right. <laughs> oh, no, you, you're right, you're right. I mean, I mean you, you couldn't be more right. Well, one is either right or not. <laughs> well, no, you are, you're right, and, and, and so am I. Um... <laughs> Now, John Fisher, um, or Simon's dad, as you're more commonly known. Um, (laughs) Simon is obviously a lot of fun. Um, I can see that that with his little quips. But um, when did you first realise that Simon was abnormal? Gifted, you mean, really? Abnormally gifted. Hmm. Um, well, it's when Simon was about 14 months old. Um, I remember looking at him there in his cot, and um, I said to him, uh, Who does Daddy love, Simon? Who? Who? And uh, guess what Simon said? What? Whom does Daddy love? Whom? <laughs> he picked up on my grammatical error with his very first word, and uh, <laughs> that's when I knew he was going to be something special. <laughs> yeah, my, my son Fernando wasn't quite as original as that. He said, uh, he said Daddy. Which somehow I prefer. <laughs> of course, he, he was calling me father soon afterwards. Not daddy. Well, daddy's a vulgarisation. Oh, yeah. Oh, he yeah. says, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> John. John, do you ever sit alone at night by the fire with your head in your hands and think to yourself, God have mercy on my soul. I have spawned a monster. I... I've created Frankenstein. No, no, no. I mean, Simon's a wonderful child. No, never, never. Well, that's nice. I'm sure that Frankenstein's parents found it within their hearts <laughs> to love him. Interjection. Uh, there is no such monster as Frankenstein. Uh, there is, actually. It's, it's, it's in a film and it's a certificate X. You wouldn't have seen well, it. Well, I've read the book by Mary Shelley and Frankenstein is the name of a Genevan student who creates Frankenstein's monster. Are you any good at sport, Simon? Sport induces violence in the common man. Yeah, cobblers. I like sports and I'm not violent. You're just scared of breaking your glasses. I don't wear glasses. Well, you should. <laughs> I like sport. Um, in fact, uh, I represented my school at uh, the London School Swimming Championships when I was 15. Um, your bronze medal will probably come in a bit handy because, um, you know, if, if uh, Simon fell into a canal, you could dive in and save him. <laughs> yes, I certainly I wouldn't could. be so stupid as to fall in. No, but you might get pushed in. <laughs> is that you think that I deserve to be pushed in a canal. So if you think I do, then who do you think to push me in? Who? Who? Whom? Whom? Uh, no, uh, in, in this context, whom, which is the uh, accusative dative, is not applicable. Is he right? Yes, he's right. <laughs> Why don't you just say what you mean, which is that you would like to push me into a canal, Mr Partridge? All right, then. I, Alan Partridge, <laughs> would like to push you, Simon Fisher... It's a very deep, disused canal. There, it's not so difficult, is it? No. In fact, I feel a lot better, thank you. Thank you very much. You're very honest. I said to be honest as this world goes is to be one man picked out of 10,000. That's very worthy of Shakespeare, that. Very good. It is Shakespeare. Well, it's, well, it's, well, it's better than that. It's worthy of the great bard. <laughs> Have you ever seen Hamlet? Simon yes, yes. Please. I saw it with Alan Rickman. Who did you see it with? 
my wife Carol. No, no, no. Who's playing the lead? Hamlet. Uh, oh, yes, the great actor Bert Hamlet. Simon, no, which actor on, was playing the lead? Um, uh, yes? Bernard Cribbins. <laughs> well, I don't know. It was a long time ago. It was before you were born. You wouldn't remember it. Have you seen Citizen Kane? Yes, I've watched every episode. Power to the people. Yeah. Have you seen Beauty and the Beast? Yes. John Cocteau's? No. Have you read Metamorphosis? Yes. Who's it by? No, I haven't read it. I've read... Have you read any Dickens? No. Do you go to the bank? No. Can you no. play chess? No. Do you know any Russian? Uh, no. What, no. What about you? Ask you. Me anything. Right, right, you. Have, have you got any pubic hair? <laughs> No, I'm 37 and I've got plenty. All right? Can you do this? Ah. Uh, no, because my voice has Exactly. Broken. Don't forget it. And, and, and uh, one more. Are you a boy or a girl? I'm a boy. Really? My name's Simon. Really? It could be Simone. Could be Simone because you sound like a girl. I'm a boy. And my yeah. name is Simon. Yeah. You've, you've got something on your shoulder there. Oh, no, you've gone too far. I shouldn't have done it. I shouldn't have done it. I'm sorry. My mistake. I'm not very good with kids. Carol's. I've got a bad temper. But you are a little shit. (laughs) Okay. Now, come on. That's pretty good, isn't it? That's pretty good value. Uh, Oh God. Do I need to go through that again? Maybe I can just. Okay. Let's let's just go through some little bits again. Now, what I want you to do here is this is the intensive listening part. Okay. This is where I want you to try and identify exactly what's been said. I'll just play you a little bit, and you've got to try and work out exactly what's been said. Especially, basically, the last part that you hear. Okay. Here we go. To knowing me, Alan Partridge, knowing you, John Fisher. Aha. Aha. And. <laughs> And you, Simon Fisher. Uh-huh. Not, not so loud into the microphone. <laughs> now, Simon, you are a fellow of Oxford University and you're a child prodigy. As a child genius, what do you do? What do you actually do in the day? I think that's pretty clear. Well, I don't exactly do. I, I, I am. I, I... So that's, that's kind of a philosophy joke. It's the it's this sort of way that a... Uh, a philosopher would answer the question, what do you do? Well, I don't do, I, I, I am. You know, it's like Descartes or something, isn't it? I see each day uh, as, a, as a sort of gift that is to be unwrapped, which I do in my own unique way. I see each day as a gift which I unwrap in my own unique way. Incredibly pretentious and also intellectual. And of course, you, you are very unique. One cannot have gradations of uniqueness when either is or is not unique. Okay, and he said, you are very unique. Now, uh, this is where Simon gets very pedantic. Uh, and uh, he says, well, you, can, you, uh, you cannot have gra- gradations of uniqueness. So basically, the word unique, you can't say very unique. Something is either unique or not. So it's a very common mistake to say very unique. And um, Simon, even though he's nine years old, um, has the sort of um, tenacity to correct Alan's uh, grammatical mistake. Right. <laughs> well, no, you, you know, you're right, you're right. I mean, I mean you, you couldn't be more right. Well, one is either right or not. <laughs> well, no, you are, you're right, and, and, and so am I. Um, uh, so that's just Alan's character coming through, that he can't ever sort of lose a situation he always has to come out on top in some way he always needs to have the last laugh and that drives him to do all sorts of terrible things now john fisher um or simon's dad as you're more commonly known um, simon is 
obviously a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, I can see that, <laughs> see that with his little quips. With his little quips. Quips are little jokes, okay, little responses or comebacks. So he's obviously a lot of fun. I can see that with his little quips. He's, uh, he's you know, it's obviously not true. He's being, I, I don't know if he's being sarcastic on purpose, but it's not true. Obviously, he's not fun. But he does have lots of very annoying and patronising quips. But um, <clears throat> when did you first realise that Simon was... Now... This is a joke because we're expecting him to say, you know, when did you first realise that Simon was special or gifted? But in fact, the word that he uses is abnormal. And abnormal um, is definitely a negative word. If something is abnormal, it's considered really bad because it's kind of not normal. It's something that's like a problem. So when did you first realise that uh, Simon was abnormal, even when we expect him to say special? But... um when did you first realise that Simon was abnormal? Gifted, you mean, Abnormally gifted. Well, it's when Simon was about 14 months old. Um, I remember looking at him there in his cot, and um, I said to him, uh, who does Daddy love, Simon? Who does Daddy love, Simon? So this is what he said to him. And, of course, Simon responds by correcting his grammar by saying, Whom does Daddy love? Because it's technically the object pronoun. Daddy loves uh, Simon. And if, it's, if, we, you know, if we remove the word Simon, that's the object of the sentence. We remove that. If the question is about the object, uh, then apparently you're supposed to use whom, which is the object version of who, which is the, like, the subject version. But these days it doesn't really matter. Any, you, know, you can just say who for both the subject or the object. Uh, but some pedantic people will bring you up on that. There in his cot. And um, I said to him, uh, who does daddy love, Simon? Who? Who? And uh, guess what Simon said? What? Whom does Daddy love? Whom? <laughs> he picked up on my grammatical error with his very first word. And uh, that's when I knew he was going to be something special. <laughs> yeah, my, my son Fernando wasn't quite as original as that. He said, uh, he said Daddy, which somehow I prefer. <laughs> of course, he, he was calling me Father soon afterwards. Not Daddy. Daddy's a vulgarisation. Oh, yeah. Oh, he yeah. says, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Daddy is a vulgarization, which apparently is a vulgar version of the word father. Um, and then Partridge goes, oh, yeah. And then Simon goes, oh, he says, yeah. So he, Simon is being incredibly judgmental and patronizing and condescending by constantly bringing Alan up on his language, including just things like saying daddy and yeah. Um, and it's at this point that Alan, the things turn. This. There's always a moment when things turn. This is the point at which things turn, and Alan realises that Simon is sort of like a monster. And that's when he asks this question to Simon's dad: "When did you realise that you'd, you know, created a monster?" But it, it's um, the way he puts it; it's so great. The way he draws it out. It's not when did you realise that you created a monster. It's like, do you ever sit down by the fire and put your head in your hands and think to yourself, "Oh God, have mercy on my soul! I've spawned a monster." John, John, do you ever sit alone at night by the fire with your head in your hands and think to yourself, God have mercy on my soul, I have spawned a monster. I've, I've created Frankenstein. No, no, no. I mean, Simon's a wonderful child. No, never, never. Well, that's nice. I'm sure that Frankenstein's parents found it within their hearts to love him. In- 
I'm sure Frankenstein's parents found it within their hearts to love him too. Alan doesn't know what he's talking about because Simon, in this case, is right, of course, that Frankenstein was the, the doctor who actually created the monster. And it's another common sort of mistake that people say Frankenstein when really they mean Frankenstein's monster. And, uh, you know, Frankenstein's... <laughs> Frankenstein's monster didn't have parents. Um, so just Alan's ignorance is just uh, hilarious. But uh, Simon brings him up on it and says, no, 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 you're wrong. Frankenstein was the doctor. Frankenstein's monster was the monster. Interjection. Uh, there is no such monster as Frankenstein. Uh, there is, actually. It's, it's in a film and it's a certificate X. You wouldn't have seen well, it. Well, I've read the book by Mary Shelley and Frankenstein is the name of a Genevan student who creates Frankenstein's monster. You any good at sport, Simon? <laughs> sport induces violence in the common man. Sports, sport induces violence in the common man. So basically, sport makes people violent. He's a complete snob, isn't he, Simon? Um, it's, it's interesting putting Alan up against someone like Simon because, in fact, we side with Alan uh, on this one because somehow Simon is even worse than him, but it's not always like that. So sport induces violence in the common man. Yeah, cobblers. I like sports and I'm not violent. Cobblers. It's just a, like a British word that means rubbish, nonsense. Cobblers. I like sport and I'm not violent. You're just scared of breaking your glasses. You're just scared of breaking your glasses. And Simon says, but I don't have glasses. And Alan says, well, you should. Because <laughs> uh, Simon is definitely the sort of kid who should have glasses. Wear glasses. Well, you should. <laughs> I like sport. Um, in fact, uh, I represented my school at uh, the London School Swimming Championships when I was 15. Um, your bronze medal will probably come in a bit handy. Your bronze medal, because like, Simon's dad won a swimming championship and he got a bronze medal. Your bronze medal might come in a bit handy if, for example, Simon fell into a canal, you could rescue him. So he's now fantasising about Simon falling into a canal and Simon, you know, responds by saying, you know, just tell, tell the truth, you know, you'd like me to fall into a canal and uh, you'd like to do it too. And then Alan admits to it. Because, uh, you know, if, if uh, Simon fell into a canal, you could dive in and save him. Yes, I, I wouldn't be could. so stupid as to fall in. No, but you might get pushed in. <laughs> Why don't you just say what you mean, Mr Partridge, is that you think that I deserve to be pushed in a canal. So if you think I do, then who do you think should push me in? Who? Who? Whom? Whom? Context, whom, which is the uh, accusative dative, is not applicable. Is he right? Yes, he's right. <laughs> Why don't you just say what you mean, which is that you would like to push me into a canal, Mr. Partridge? A canal, you know, it's like a like a man-made river used for transporting goods and things. A canal. All right then. I, Alan Partridge, <laughs> would like to push you, Simon Fisher, into a very deep, disused canal. <laughs> There. It's not so difficult, is it? No. In fact, I feel a lot better. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're very honest. Aye, sir, to be honest as this world goes is to be one man picked out of 10,000. So this is Simon quoting Shakespeare. I, to be honest, is to be one man picked out of 100,000 or something. I think it's a quote from Hamlet. And Alan's impressed and he goes, oh, that's, that's worthy of Shakespeare. Which is something you can say when you know when someone says something very poetic or wise, you can say that's worthy of of Shakespeare. But in fact, this is Shakespeare, and Simon says well, it is Shakespeare, and Alan goes, but it's it's better than that. Clearly, uh, he doesn't actually know. <laughs> he's he doesn't really even know who Shakespeare is. Uh, 
it's it's a weird exchange but alan reveals that he doesn't actually know who shakespeare is uh he says it's better than that it's worthy of the great bard so the great bard is just another uh nickname for shakespeare he was also known as the great bard so uh, you know just alan doesn't know what he's talking about ever that's very worthy of shakespeare that very good it is shakespeare well it's but it's it's better than that it's worthy of the great bard so alan just doesn't know that the great bard and shakespeare are the same (laughs) Hamlet. Yes, yes. I saw it with Alan Rickman. Who did you see it with? There's a kind of joke in there. I saw it with Alan Rickman. So if you see a film or see a play with a person, it could mean that uh, you you saw that they were in the play. So I saw, uh, for example, I saw Hamlet with Kenneth Branagh, uh, meaning Kenneth Branagh was the actor playing Hamlet. Uh, I actually saw Hamlet uh, with my family, my parents and my brother, but Kenneth Branagh was playing the part of Hamlet. So I saw Hamlet with Kenneth Branagh could mean two things. Either he was playing Hamlet or he was sitting uh, in the audience with you. So I, 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 um, who did you see Hamlet with? And Simon says, I saw him with, um, who is it? Have you seen Hamlet? Simon yes, yes. I saw it with Alan Rickman. I saw it with Alan Rickman. So Alan, you know, the Alan Rickman, the actor, he plays the part of Professor Snape from Harry Potter. I saw it with Alan Rickman. Who did you see it with? And Alan says, my wife, Carol. Who did you see it with? My wife, Carol. (laughs) No, no, no. Who's playing the lead? Hamlet. Uh, Oh, yes, the great actor Bert Hamlet. No, which actor was playing the lead? Um, uh, Yes? Bernard Cribbins. (laughs) Bernard Cribbins is a comedy actor from the UK from the 60s and 70s. He's the guy, I don't know if you've ever heard this episode of this podcast, but I did one with Paul a while ago, and we listened to this kind of old comedy song called Right Said, Right Said, Fred, better get a move on this piano's not going to move itself. Tried to lift it, couldn't even shift it. We was getting nowhere, and so we had a cup of tea. You know, that song, that's Bernard Cribbins. So uh, it's you could imagine that there would be a version of Hamlet with Bernard Cribbins, but it might be like a comedy version or something like that. Well, I don't know. It was a long time. It was before you were born. You wouldn't remember it. Have you seen Citizen Kane? Yes, I've watched every episode. Power to the people. So that's... uh, He thinks Simon's referring to a a British TV show that was called Citizen Smith, which is about this kind of communist character who lived in the suburbs of England. Uh, So he doesn't even know that Citizen Kane is this uh, uh, great uh, film by Orson Welles. (laughs) Have you seen Beauty and the Beast? Yes. John Cocteau's? No. Have you read Metamorphosis? Yes. Who's it by? No, I haven't read it. Have you read any Dickens? No. Do you go to the back? No. Can you play chess? No. Do you know any Russian? uh, No. What what about you? You. Anything. Right. Right. You. Have have you got any pubic hair? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you know what pubic hair is, but it's hair that you have around your private parts. So when you're nine years old, you don't have any pubic hair. It doesn't develop until you go through puberty, which is that sort of uh, physical change that means that you've be- you're becoming an adolescent and then an adult. So ha- have you got any pubic hair? Is This is the only way that Alan can, can win this, uh, this situation. No, I haven't because I'm nine. No, I'm 37 and I've got plenty. All right? <laughs> can you do this? Ah. Uh... Exactly. Broken. Don't forget it. And, and, and one more. Are you a boy or a girl? I'm a boy. Really? My name's Simon. Really? It could be Simone. Could be Simone because you sound like a girl. I'm a boy. And my yeah. name is Simon. Yeah. You've, you've got something on your shoulder there. So that was. You've got something on your shoulder there. So Alan, 
is pretending that Simon's got something on his shoulder. And then when he puts his hand on the shoulder, he slaps him in the face. Um, it's just pathetic. You've, you've got something on your shoulder there. Oh, no, you've gone too far. And, and, and I actually didn't play this bit at the end. Uh, after, si- after Alan says, you are a little shit, uh, he then switches to entertainment mode. And he goes, Simon Fisher, thank you. As if it's all part of the um, it's all part of the interview. For as far as Alan's concerned, the interview went great. I shouldn't have done it. I shouldn't have done it. I'm sorry. My mistake. I'm not very good with kids. It's Carol's. I've got a bad temper. But you are a little shit. That said. That said. Thank you for coming on the show, ladies and gentlemen, the Fishers. Okay, and you can, I guess you can hear Alan's tone of voice. This is, you know, this kind of, uh, uh, oh, this, I'm Alan Partridge. It's a certain t- tone of voice which develops um, as, the, as the character developed. So uh, we're going to do one more. No, we're not going to do one more. We're not going to do it because the next one sort of feeds into the ones directly after it. So I think we're actually going to, are we going to stop there? Are we going to stop here? Yes, we're going to stop right here. We'll continue with more in the next episode, and we're going to hear about how Alan attempts to get a second series of his TV show by interviewing his boss on live television, which is not a very good idea, and we'll see how that goes. And then we start to get into Alan's personal life. There are series that come after where we follow Alan through his life and the problems he has with his marriage and uh, with the way he interacts with other people. And that's where Alan starts to get really, really good. So this episode has been a sort of an introduction to the early years of Alan. The next one is going to go into uh, some more detail in the more in-depth stuff about his character. Don't forget to check out the page for this episode on the website. That's where you'll see most of what I've said transcribed. You'll see lists of um, some bits of vocab and various other notes that can really help you. And also uh, video footage from YouTube of the sketches that we've listened to in this episode. Um, as I said before, I've n- I don't really know how you're going to be feeling about this because of what, you know, what we know about how difficult it is to understand comedy in a second language. This all might have just been really cold to you. It might have just struck you as just being really unfunny. I've no idea, actually. I have to say... I've no idea. I always love to do these episodes because for me, it's like I'm sharing uh, this comedy that I've listened to so many times over the years that I've enjoyed. You know, it really has sort of enriched my life in a way. It's just really good fun and good quality stuff. But, you know, you might just take it totally differently. I don't know. I Sometimes I feel like the the gap between me and like the way I understand uh, certain things in English and the way that learners of English understand those things. I feel like the gap is so huge and it's really at its widest in these sorts of situations when we're dealing with like clips from a show that you don't know, you don't know the actors and it's all a bit, it's, you know, you might be trying to catch up and not getting the jokes and that's fine. That's totally fine because what I'm interested in doing is bridging the gap between the way I understand this stuff and the way you do. And it's a linguistic gap and it's a cultural gap. But I'm trying to bridge it. And so, obviously, 
you know, it's not necessarily going to result in you finding it all hilariously funny or getting it on the same in the same way that I do. I mean, maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, you know, you're getting into this. I don't know. But um, stick around for the next part, because this is going to build. It'll build and you'll get to know the character more. And the more you know about this character, the more uh, you can find it funny and you can appreciate it and you can learn from it, too. Okay, but thanks for listening to this episode. I'll speak to you again in the next part. But for now, it's time to say goodbye. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk.